1: One of the temptations, I think, in Catholic preaching in general, is to think that, oh, if I can give people three steps to do, and they do those three things, that that will give them the successful homily. I think the crisis we face is much deeper. And we will never solve the crisis of preaching in the Catholic Church unless We emphasize that the preacher needs to be someone who's constantly learning, doing serious research about what the scripture passages were and what they mean in their context, but also that the preacher needs to be a person of prayer. Welcome to Preach
0: a podcast from America Media on the art of Catholic preaching. I'm your host, Ricardo da Silva, a Jesuit priest from South Africa, an associate editor at America Media, and also an associate pastor at the Church of St. Francis Xavier in New York. In each episode, we take you into the minds and hearts of some of the finest preachers in the Catholic Church. We listen to their homilies, learn what makes them great, and draw inspiration to keep preaching the good news. This week on Preach, We are joined by Brian Massingale. Brian is a priest of the Archdiocese of Milwaukee. He currently lives and works in New York City as a professor of theology at Fordham University and is a leader in the quest for faith-based racial and sexual justice, especially within the Catholic Church. He also presides and preaches at St. Charles Borromeo Parish in Harlem, the Mother Church for Black Catholics in the Archdiocese of New York. And this year is his 40th anniversary of priestly ordination. He is also a huge Star Trek fan. Brian, welcome to Preach. Thank you, Ricardo. It's good to be with you. Congratulations, 40
1: years. I know, I know. Everybody was predicting that I would be the first
0: of my class to leave, and here I am still. And Star Trek, I mean, we're dear friends, but we've never spoken about Star Trek. (laughs) As I tell my students, everything you need to know about life, you
1: can find in either the Bible or in Star Trek. Absolutely. Give us just one thing. Um, The prime directive, you know, which is that you do not interfere in the normal development of another civilization. And you can't presume that your way of looking at life should be normative for anyone else. Hmm. It's really quite respectful. Also, it makes buying gifts for me very, very easy. Anything
0: with Star Trek is a sure home run with me. So, <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> Brian Massinger, lover of Star Trek. <laughs> Brian, you've really thrown the weight of your homily today behind the gospel reading, Stick With Jesus, and the parable of the sower in the Gospel of Matthew. Remind us of the basic premise here and why you've chosen to focus solely on the gospel. I think, for me,
1: it's always better to focus on one of the Scripture readings rather than trying to give a homily where you're trying to force them all into a single homily. Because, you know, frankly, they don't always go very well together, and drawing connections between them can be very artificial. So I chose to look at the Gospel reading because I think it's helpful for the congregation to really delve into it. And I also chose the short form of the gospel reading. The gospel of this Sunday has two forms. One, a very long form, which most priests will probably not use. So I chose the short form also because exegetically, the short form is the more original form of the parable. And so I went to focus on that. So tell us about this parable. Okay, it's a very familiar parable. Jesus is telling the parable of a sower who sows seeds. The seeds fall on various types of soil. Most of the seeds are unproductive, but those that are have a harvest which exceeds any reasonable expectation. And this begins the section of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13, which we'll be reading for the next several weeks, in which Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven or the reign of God. And he's using stories and parables to illustrate what this
0: kingdom, what this reign, what this vision is going to be like. Hmm. Tell me about St. Charles Borromeo. Our first guest was Father Greg Chisholm. He was there for a long time. He's a dear friend of yours. And I know that you both share a love for St. Charles Borromeo, but what is unique about this congregation, and what are you thinking about as you're preparing this homily for them?
1: St. Charles Borromeo, as you said in your introduction, is the mother church for black Catholics in the Archdiocese of New York. And it has a world-famous gospel mass at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings. And it's a parish that takes seriously the enculturation of the African-American experience with the Roman Catholic rite and the Roman Catholic liturgy. I would say that on weekends, we have maybe between four to five hundred worshipers. Also, we have a good number of visitors as well. We have two news anchors from local media we have a number of city council people. So we have people who are very active and involved in the civic life of New York. Also, the parish is a takes seriously the call to social justice and is a leader in
0: promoting racial justice efforts in the Archdiocese of New York. We know that some of the people at St. Charles Borromeo are going to be listening to this. What do you want to say to them before you kick off your homily? Just listening to this homily doesn't excuse them from coming to hear it
1: live in the next few weeks. (laughs) (laughs) So this is not a substitute, and not only that, but it will be a different experience because preaching in the Black experience depends very much on the call and response of the congregation with a community which is very much engaged and we really do feed off one another. So... One, I would say to them, it's a joy and a privilege to be a part of their worshiping community. But two, this homily that I'm going to give in this setting will be very different when it's preached
0: in the setting of St. Charles. It'll take different contours for sure. I've heard you preach many times. And yet you still invited me. (laughs) And yet I still invited you, God forbid. I'm excited to hear what you're going to do with the parable of the sower. Why don't you take it away? We will now hear Brian Massingale's homily for the 15th Sunday in Ordinary Time, Year A, especially recorded for Preach.
1: What do you do when you give your all and it just isn't enough? Sooner or later, most of us encounter situations where the task we face seems beyond our ability or worse, when all we do seems futile. Whether in relationships or parenting or at work, there's that sinking feeling when we wonder, what's the use? Why do I bother? Why keep going? All this work, all this effort, and for what? There are times when our best efforts don't seem to make a difference and it's hard to keep going because nothing we do seems to matter. So why bother? What do you do when you give your all and it isn't enough? This is the situation that's underneath today's Gospel. The story is deceptively familiar. A farmer sows seeds that fall on all different types of ground. And some of us, perhaps many of us, have heard homilies where preachers or retreat leaders usually pose the challenge or the question, what kind of soil are you? Are you the rocky ground that the gospel cannot penetrate or the shallow soil that lacks depth? Which is, of course, the most popular answer since no one of us is completely faithful and honesty forbids us from claiming to be the good soil but at least we can take credit for not being the roadway or the path and allowing our seeds to be swallowed by the birds, unlike those who aren't even bothering to be in church this morning to hear the gospel. But this focus is misplaced because the parables of Jesus are not about us, at least not directly. Jesus tells the parables to describe the reign of God and what the reign of God is about the reign of God, which some describe as the dream of God, or God's vision. Jesus tells parables to describe God's vision of the world and how God wants things to be for us. And God's vision can be summed up in one word, shalom. You often translate this word as peace, but it means so much more. Shalom is a state of wholeness and well-being where no one lacks for essential needs and where all have what they need for full and abundant life. Shalom, in short, is the way things ought to be. That's the reign of God. That's God's dream. That's God's vision. So to describe this way of God, this dream of God, Jesus tells a parable that's true to life and one that Jesus' hearers would be familiar with. For first century Palestinian sowers did not plow or prepare the ground before planting or sowing seeds. There were no mechanized tractors that we use today. They simply scattered seeds as they walked. And thus everyone knew that there would be a certain amount of waste. Everyone knew the obstacles to a successful harvest, the birds absconding with the seed, the shallow ground unable to sustain a proper crop, the thorns that strangled the fledgling plants. And so in light of this, the hearers knew what to expect. A sevenfold harvest was considered pretty typical. A tenfold harvest was considered really good and a cause for celebration. And so the gospel today turns upon the amazing contrast between the present frustrations and the awesome fulfillment. The punchline of the story lies in the -the over-the-top harvest. This is what is truly astonishing for the original hearers, a harvest that's 30-fold, amazing, 60-fold, astounding, 100-fold, breathtaking, Jesus' hearers would have heard the story in amazement. No one would dare to hope for such an outcome from their farming practices. Jesus' conclusion is so over the top as to be outrageous. And that's the point. God's dream, God's vision is like a sower who acts, knowing all of the challenges to his goal, to his project, and yet still the sower acts because she is confident of the abundant realization. And because of that confidence, because of this assurance, the sower acts now, despite it all, to realize the dream, confident that it will succeed beyond all expectation. The kingdom of heaven, God's dream, is like a sower who acts, knowing all of the challenges to the vision, yet confident of its future abundant realization. This parable doesn't ask, what kind of ground are you? No, the challenge, the invitation is to become like the sower, to not be defined by present obstacles, to not let the choking thorns or scorching heat define what's possible for us. No, we are summoned to define ourselves by the harvest to come and to act now to bring it about because God's dream, God's vision cannot but happen. So what do you do when you give your all and it seems not enough? I don't know about you, but I need this assurance, this hope that we find in the gospel Because especially as a black Catholic and as a people who long for a justice and a shalom that is too often delayed or denied, we can often wonder, what's the use? There are times when it all seems so futile. I remember three years ago, after the murder of George Floyd and a justice protest that happened across the nation, people kept asking me, Are we at a turning point? Do you think that things will be different? Are you hopeful? But let's look at what's happened in those three years. In those three years, we've seen laws passed that limit education about our racial history. In those three years, we've seen books dealing with racial justice being removed from school libraries. In those three years, we've seen innocent black people massacred by a white teenager while grocery shopping simply because of their race. In those three years, we see black women die in childbirth at rates that surpass those in developing countries. In those three years, A 16-year-old boy in Kansas City was shot and seriously wounded simply because he was lost and rang a doorbell looking for help. All of that three years later, is this what we have to show for all of our efforts? It is tempting to look at the circling birds, the stony hearts, the thorny soil, the scorching heat of racial resentments, fears, and resistance, and truly wonder, even despair, about the possibility of an abundant harvest of shalom. Today's parable gives us a way of acting with confident assurance in God's vision. Because the parable does not ask for a suspension of reality, The parable frankly acknowledges the frustrations, the challenges, and the obstacles to the vision's realization. Yet even with all of these, the sower still sows, the sower still acts, the sower still keeps going. Because God's dream, God's vision, God's reign cannot and will not be denied. The sower shows us the promise of acting, even when the obstacles to our vision are all too real. This dogged, persistent hope, our faith conviction to act despite it all, is well expressed in the African-American tradition by a classic poem by the Renaissance poet Langston Hughes. The poem is entitled, Mother to Son. So let's listen to this mother's admonition and encouragement to her despondent son. Well, son, I'll tell you, life for me ain't been no crystal stair. It's had tacks in it and splinters and boards torn up and places with no carpets on the floor. Bear but all the time i've been a climbing on and reaching landings and turning corners and sometimes going in the dark where there ain't been no light so boy don't you turn back don't you sit down on the steps cuz you find it kind of hard don't you fall now for i still going honey i still climbing and life for me ain't been no crystal stair. So what do you do when all you do seems not to be enough? We come to the table to receive the Eucharist. We take Jesus into ourselves and we receive the strength to act, the strength to keep acting, the strength to build God's reign of shalom despite the obstacles we face. The reign of God is like a sower sowing seed, acting now in light of what will be, acting now to bring about tomorrow's harvest of shalom, acting now out of an overwhelming confidence in God's fulfilling the dream and vision. That is our hope. That is our hope. And the Eucharist is our strength. Let the church say, amen.
0: That was Brian Massingale for Preach. After the break, we'll talk with Brian about how he finds new ways to interpret gospels we've often heard before. Welcome back to Preach. Brian, as I was listening to your homily, you have this recurring question. You keep asking, what do you do when you give your all and it just isn't enough? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But what would you say is the thrust? If you said, this is what I want the congregation to leave with, what is it that you want the congregation to leave with from your homily?
1: I want people to leave inspired with a sense of hope to continue to work for justice despite the obstacles and the delays and the frustrations. Especially because this is a congregation that's predominantly African-American, but if I were preaching in a suburban context, I would also talk about the fact that we're praying for peace in Ukraine, and, and yet we're still continuing to pray, and it doesn't seem to be enough. We keep praying for an end of gun violence, and it's not enough. And so what do we do when the gospel's call seems so out of reach as to be unrealistic, mm-hmm. and yet the gospel gives us a way of continuing to persevere in the frustrating task of bringing about justice and shalom in an imperfect world. And not only an imperfect world, but a world where the obstacles to its realization are real. And so for me, one of the homiletic techniques I usually begin with is by posing a question. I call it maybe an arresting question or a focusing question to have the congregation follow along with me on the journey. So it's a conversation with them rather than simply me talking at them but also to raise a question that's real in my own life, that, you know, yes, I do wonder sometimes a lot, you know, why do I keep doing this and it doesn't seem to make a difference? Mm -hmm. And so in this homily, that's the question, that's the focus, but I usually try to begin with some kind of question that I said can arrest them, focus them, grab them, and bring
0: them along on this journey that is the homily. Bring them along is key there, right? Because this is a really hard hope. And at various points in the homily, it felt like you were going to give us hope. You were going to give us the answer, you know, to why we shouldn't give up. And then you're like, well, let's look at what happened in the last three years. And it's disaster again, right? And you just, you keep dashing our hopes, which some might say would be discouraging to a congregation until you get to the very end. And you're like, well... Our hope is the reason we're here. The hope is the resurrection. The hope is the Eucharist, the body and blood of Christ. And for
1: me, I think it's important because in Catholic preaching, unlike other forms of preaching, the homily is not a standalone ritual liturgical act. Mm -hmm. The homily is a part of and leads us to the Eucharist. And so one of the things I often do in my homilies is to end with a tie to the Eucharist. And so the homily becomes the bridge between the liturgy of the Word and the liturgy of the Eucharist. And the Eucharist is what gives us the strength, then, to continue to answer a difficult call. Because when you use the word hope, I think one of the problems we have is that we confuse hope with optimism. Mm. And I don't think one can be optimistic when talking about the state of our world. And I don't think that optimism is the gospel value. The gospel value is one of hope. And yes, our hope is in the resurrection, but the resurrection is not a denial of crucifixion. And I think that's where Catholic homilies need to be honest about, you know, life is not easy. And our faith is precisely that that gives us the strength and the hope for living in a situation which is not easy. Mm-hmm. I think that one of the temptations I think many preachers have is you feel that at the end of your 7 to 10, or in my case, you know, I have 12 to 15 minutes at St. Charles, and even that they feel cheated. But I think the idea is that at the end of the homily that we've waved a magic wand and we've solved people's problems. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not realistic. I think what we can do is give people that daily manna that gets them through. In our faith tradition, the manna is not that is just given all at once, but it gives you just enough to keep going,
0: to keep persevering in the difficult circumstances of life. And a reminder that this is only possible with God, right? I mean, that this isn't possible by our own bootstraps. Well, well, no. And I think that's the other thing, too, is that especially preaching in the United States
1: of America, where we think that, well, we definitely have to have the answer and we can solve it. Mm -hmm. I think, no, the good news is that we can't solve it and we don't have to solve it, Mm -hmm. but rather that Christ
0: walks with us in our journey of life. We could spend a much longer time looking at individual aspects of your homily, but I actually want to go to the part before you even get in front of a congregation. Mm. How do you prepare each Sunday? My general approach is to try to understand the
1: readings in their historical context. And so for me, a go-to resource is preaching the lectionary by Diane Bergant. It's a series of three volumes looking at year A, year B, and year C. I will also look at, for example, for preparing this homily, The Parables of Jesus by um, Joachim Yeremias, which is a very classic text. But just to understand, well, what was going on in first century Palestine? I mean, like this, why is someone out there just throwing seeds around? And so to really understand the
0: Scriptures in their particular context. So give me an example of how you did that in this particular homily that you've just preached. Right. Well, the insight was about the farming practices in first century
1: Palestine. Mm -hmm. You know, there was no tilling of the field, that the sower just walked along and just threw the seeds out there, that this was very true to life. And the other insight I got was what kind of yield did they usually expect? that a sevenfold yield was considered a very good, respectable outcome. A ten-fold yield was considered great. So when Jesus talks about 30, 60, 100, I mean, Jesus is just being over the top. Mm-hmm. And again, that helped me understand what really is the focus of this parable. How outrageous it is. So, said, right? Yes, and so we wouldn't get that unless we did some research in terms of understanding that. So those are some of the insights that I got. But then... For me, it's always important to sit with that and then to ask the question, what's going on today that these readings are talking about? Because I deeply believe that a homily that begins in the Bible and stays in the Bible is not a biblical homily. The homily is supposed to draw a connection between what the Scripture text is telling us and our own life experience. And so I need to sit with that, and for me, realizing that the last time I preached on this was after George Floyd, it made me think, well, what's happened since those three years? And as I lived there in that question, it became more clear to me that, okay, how does this gospel speak to this situation three years later? And to really take that to prayer and to really wrestle with how can I continue to believe in hope when the last three years have been disappointing, that I think maybe people did believe that we had reached a turning point, and yet the evidence doesn't bear that out. And so what does this gospel say to that situation?
0: And so it's really sitting in prayer— What do you mean by that? I mean, I know it sounds strange, but what do you mean by sitting in prayer, taking that to prayer? One of the
1: temptations, I think, in Catholic preaching in general is to think that, oh, if I can give people three steps to do, and they do those three things, that that will give them the successful homily. I think the crisis we face is much deeper. And we will never solve the crisis of preaching in the Catholic Church unless we emphasize that the preacher needs to be someone who is constantly learning, doing serious research about what the Scripture passages were and what they mean in their context, but also that the preacher needs to be a person of prayer. And by a person of prayer, I mean going beyond simply the rote saying of prayers, the rote saying, the bravery to to get it done, but to be someone who stands in the pulpit as an authentic faith witness, who wrestles with who God is and wrestles with what gives me meaning and who has argued with God, who's been angry with God, who's been consoled by God, someone who has a a real living relationship with the holy sacred loving mystery and it that sounds fluffy but it's not people can tell if someone is up there and they're simply reading a script or if someone is speaking out of their own their own faith joy, their own faith struggle, their own faith trial, their own faith darkness. And at least when I listen to other priests or other preachers preach, it becomes obvious to me whether someone is really speaking out of the depths of their own spiritual hunger and struggle, or whether
0: they're simply reading something that someone else has written. Mm-hmm. And I mean, when we do that, that's when I think we can do the kind of thing you did in this homily, right, where you've turned the story on its head, you went from looking at a story about what kind of soil we might be, right, right. which so, is the traditional, w- w- traditional right. obviously, and you went in a completely different direction, You're like, well, that's not the question. The question is, what kind of world is God saying that God's reign is? Right. God's vision, and then, what's God's right. dream for and us?
1: How, and how are we then to be like the sower? How are we to be workers with God in bringing about God's vision, and bringing about God's dream? And so it's not the question of what kind of soil are we, but what kind of sowers are we? But that, that arose out of my own wrestling with the text okay. and wrestling with What is this text saying to me in light of the deep
0: disappointments of the past three years? So how do you recognize these inversions, right? This change of logic from the accepted truth about what the gospel means. How do you recognize this in your own prayer, in your own study? How do you know, yeah, this is the one that I need to turn things on its head? I would say that whenever the Spirit takes me somewhere and I say, that's really
1: weird. Uh, (laughs) That's the invitation that this is probably on the right track. I think one of the deepest problems we face is that we've domesticated the Gospels. We think we know what they say, but if indeed the Word of God is living and active, then the Word of God is always going to take us into a different place, into new places. And for me to to get the formulaic, you know, what kind of soil are we? I think that is a recipe for people just turning it off because they've they've heard this before. Mm -hmm. But if indeed the Spirit of Jesus is active and alive, then the Spirit of Jesus is always going to speak to us a fresh word, a fresh word of challenge, a fresh word of consolation. And so for me, even though I do keep a file of my homilies and I go back to them, I can't just preach the same homily that I gave three years ago because the world is different, because I am different, because the community is different. And we can only allow ourselves to be in that difference if we really do believe that the Spirit of Jesus is active and alive in our lives and in the life of the world.
0: Brian, you and I have many deep conversations. I'm so glad that this one was actually put on the record. (laughs) But one of the things I've been struggling with the last two weeks in my own preaching, was that feeling of I'm not leaving the congregation in a place of resolution. Partly because in my own community, I feel that there's been some tensions and I want to address that in my community in the same way that you've maybe addressed the racial justice tensions. Mm -hmm. And you've given me hope for allowing the congregation to just wrestle with the challenge of the gospel. Absolutely. We can't give them
1: a tidally-tied package Because it's not. The life of faith is messy. And if our faith is not strong enough to meet people in the mess, then what good is it? And so I think the insulting thing is for us to act as if everything is in a tidally tied package. No. This is why the Eucharist is so important. The Eucharist is Christ walking with us
0: being with us where we are, as we are. Brian, thank you so much for coming on Preach. It's such a joy to have you. It's good to be here. Thank you for listening to Preach. You can find the readings and a link to the transcript for Brian Massingale's homily in our show notes. This podcast is made possible by the generous support of the Compelling Preaching Initiative, a project of Lilly Endowment, Inc. Preach is produced by me and Maggie Van Dorn. Frank Tucson is our audio engineer. He also designed the theme score and composed original music for the podcast. Sebastian Gomes is our executive producer. We recorded in the William J. Loshit Studio in New York City, with production assistance from Kevin Christopher Robles and Christabel Spielman. If you've heard a great homily recently or know a great preacher you'd like to recommend for this podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Just click the link in the show notes for a link to our submissions form. You can also follow me on Twitter at RickDSSJ. And one more thing. Did you know that American Media can deliver a new scripture reflection to your inbox every day? If you're already a digital subscriber, they're probably there. But if not, become a digital subscriber today for just $5.99 a month. It's the best way to support our work here on Preach. Just visit the link in the show notes. For America Media, I'm Ricardo Da Silva. Until next time, keep preaching the good news.